roast pork is always a part and parcel of Miss Fans. I've been roasting five spice pork belly since since the shipping container days, and we we go through slabs and slabs of that stuff. Um, I guess I think the pork belly bun me in Australia has it's almost become the new chicken avocado and cheese sandwich. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Food is a language like no other. One that can be passed on, interpreted and shared over generations in families that put food in the centre of the family. For Andrew Duong, family and food is at the heart of everything that he does. Andrew, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's good to have you on. You've uh, got probably the what's considered the best banh mi in, in Canberra. Um, how, how does that feel to, to kind of, you know, be dishing up something so spectacular like that? Um, I haven't heard that one, but thank you very much for considering <laughs> us as Canberra's best banh mi. Um, I, I think people know us more as Canberra's most expensive banh mi, to be honest with you. Um, yes, we do, a, we do a pork banh mi. We do a, an iteration of a pork banh mi. Um, my restaurant is Miss Van's, a Vietnamese one here in Canberra, and the bun mi is something we offer at lunch. Um, this is a sort of a modern interpretation of our bun mi using some ingredients that we use within the kitchen, and um, I sort of describe it as as an elevated bun mi. Um, I think it's delicious. Um, I believe you've had it before as well. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think about it quite often. I'd, I'd love to have it more often. T- tell us a bit about your banh mi and the, the interpretation that you have on it? So we, we do a cold cut pork banh mi um, known as a Saigon roll or in the Vietnamese phrasing a banh mi tit ngui, which is just translates to a cold cut banh mi. Um, a traditional banh mi is generally uh, red braised pork belly and jat lu, which is a Vietnamese ham. Um, the only common ingredient that we use similarly sort of um, is jat lu. Jalua being uh, Vietnamese steamed ham. Uh, it's basically pork mince, sort of minced and pounded down, steamed in banana leaf. The other c- component that we do in our bun me that is a little bit different to everyone else is that we use a we use a thinly sliced sort of carpaccio style pork neck. We use that as a dish in one of our other dishes, and we've sort of changed it up a bit with ours, and it sort of creates a nice, more lighter bun me. Um, I, I love the traditional banh mi's that you get at other places. Um, my my gripe with those though is that because they use sort of that that thick cut pork belly and pork belly in our country it tends to be quite fatty at times. There's nothing worse than sort of biting into a banh mi and you get that that big big bite of just cold congealed pork fat. And that's one of the things that I I wanted to change with the direction of our banh mi's here. Um, so we, yeah, we use a, a pork neck pacho cut and our steamed banana leaf jalur. We do it with a, a French style chicken parfait instead of a traditional Vietnamese pork liver pate, uh, pickles. We don't use cucumber, uh, cucumber. We find the water content sort of takes away from the banh mi. And if you don't eat it straight away, it, it moistens the bread and just, yeah, ruins, ruins the texture of banh mi. And the thing that we do differently as well is we use coriander and mint. Bit controversial, but it works. 
You, you mentioned that uh, it might be considered the most expensive one in Canberra, but it's a sandwich that's popular across Australia. Um, do you think it should be elevated and, um, you know, it should be celebrated and, and paid for um, and not considered, say, yours as being expensive? Um, in, to answer your first question with elevation, I think that a lot of bun me venues these days are sort of elevating their product by moving away from just doing the plain pork bun me or you're playing tofu by me. I think a lot of places are doing that really well. It's just venues are changing with sort of palates and what people actually want to eat and people are getting a bit more sort of, I guess, adventurous with their flavours. So you'll find bunmis featuring Vietnamese products such as, you know, uh, a bol a lot, which is a, a beetle leaf, beetle leaf wrapped, uh, sorry, beef mince wrapped in beetle leaf. Um, that's a that's sort of an outside bunmi that you don't see and I guess that's sort of, is the elevation of and the change of bunnies that's happening in terms of the the pricing that you mentioned as well i think that a lot of places should be charging a lot more for what they what they're selling you know look we you go to a place and you go to sydney and you go to melbourne and look it's fa- it's absolutely fantastic to find a five or six dollar bun me but you have to think to yourself how do these places survive on selling a product for for that cheap it just it doesn't make sense at all especially when Food prices are going up, and this is prior to sort of inflation recently. But meat, meats, and produce has been going up exponentially over the past couple of years. So it just doesn't make sense that some of these venues are, are pumping out six and seven dollar bun meats and are supporting themselves by doing that. Your family has a an incredible history with the bun meat. Take take us on a journey with your family and how it's run a thread through it. Yeah, so my my um my background, my ancestry rather is I'm I'm Vietnamese Lao. My my paternal side, my father, were all from Vietnam. My maternal was originally as well, but they moved to a they moved to Laos when my mother was quite young. Um, in Laos, when Mum was a kid and Nan was trying to make her way, they used to sell bun mi out of a cart in Vientiane, the capital of Laos. That was their their bread and butter. Excuse the pun. Um, they moved to a refugee camp uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, because of the Vietnam War and how that was affecting Laos and the whole area. They lived in a Thai refugee camp for three years, and their trade, their trade, and what they did in that refugee camp was they sold bun mi's again. They um, in Laos originally it was just selling the bread rolls, but in in the Thai refugee camp they they produced all their meats and their pickles and they sold bun me for a living. I didn't actually find out that story until many, many years later, until maybe 2015 when I opened up the original iteration of Miss Vans. My grandma turned around to me and said, look, we we did this when we were young in the refugee camps to, to get out of poverty and to, to bring ourselves to Australia, you know, why the hell are you why the hell are you going back to the circle and, and doing a doing a bun me restaurant? So Nan, Nan was a bit shocked that um that I did that, but the the bun me is just tied intrinsically with our with our family history, I guess. Did your Nan share the recipe or the style of bun me that they were doing then? No, Nan Nan never had a recipe, and Nan never shared anything because I think it was I think she saw it as as peasant food, as commoner food. Um, that's no sort of reflection on what 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 she is as a, as a person, but. It's just that that stigma that she had, where the bun me was just a means to an end. It was it was there to to make a buck, 
uh, and to support the family. And it's not something that I, I don't know about other Vietnamese families, but we tend not to eat many banh mi's at home. It's not it's not considered a um, it's not considered a mainstream of our of our food. It's it's common over here. It's common overseas. It's it's a quick, easy takeaway and sort of go to option. But I we don't eat that many banh mi's in the household. So no, unfortunately, I never had a I never had a banh mi recipe passed down. Take us back to when you were young, and what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Food was very is very very significant still. Um, some of my earliest memories of being a child was was helping my nan cook. Um, I mum was we grew up in a, a single parent household and mum was you know busy working to, to provide for the family so we spent a lot of time with our grandmother. I guess that's quite common in a lot of multicultural families anyway spending time with your with your grandparents while your parents are working so. My grandmother taught me to cook from a very, very young age. Some of my earliest memories were being taught how to cook rice out of the rice machine when I was, you know, four years old, if not, if not earlier. And using a using a knife from a young age to to prep veggies and to prep meats and to help cook and assist. Um, I know that's sort of very traditional, sort of gearing towards female gender roles in Asian society, but. Being over here and being the eldest child of the family, it was it was really fun for me to get that component from my from my grandmother and my mother as well of being had taught being taught how to cook from an early age, but also being involved with with preparing large meals for families and it's such an important component of of Asian families of or sorry of multicultural families rather of sitting down together having a meal. And you know your meals are never just sort of your own plate. It's always share style. It's 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 not just it's not just a quick event to nourish yourself. It's a it's a get together. It's a, it's a debrief. It's a catch up. Um, but yeah, no food is um food is food is carried on since since I was young, and it's it's nice to it's nice to it's nice to nourish people with food. That's that's one of the, the great things that I enjoy most about what I do, um, and just being a person that eats food in general is that it's just nourishing. Uh, pork is uh, quite a vital part of um, some Vietnamese cuisine. Is there any dishes from when you were young that you remember where pork was sort of front and center? Yeah, we we ate we eat probably a lot of pork in our cuisine. Um, bit of chicken, not much beef, not much lamb. Uh, pork. Because I spent so much time with my grandmother, and much of my my cooking has come from her. She I mean she grew up she grew up rural. She grew up poor. So, and pigs are so pigs are so significant to us because you can use every single you can use every single component of a pig. Um, you know, you you butcher one down, and you know, there are parts that are kept fresh. There are parts that are dried. There are parts that are dehydrated. There are parts that can be sort of preserved to last for a while and that's carried on in my grandmother's cooking um when i was young she did a lot of braised dishes uh in in vietnamese we call that sort of tit core which is tit being meat and core being braised one dish that comes to mind is um her coconut braised pork belly with caramel i think it's a play on the very traditional sort of chinese malay red braised pork it's a dish that you see in in every asian in every asian um 
restaurant, I guess. Um, pork was always braised for us. A lot of soups as well. Um, pho being the, sort of the best known Asian little Vietnamese little soup. That's sort of beef, but there's a, it's popular cousin, I guess, which is bun bò hue, which is a garlic and lemongrass pork dish originating from the Hue area midway through Vietnam. Um, I'm getting hungry. Talking about this now, huh? <laughs> so am I. <laughs> you, you mentioned your um, your grandmother's surprise about you opening uh, Miss Van's, the original iteration of it with the, the banh mi. To, were you always interested in a career in food or you know, when did you make that switch? Um. I've been I've been interested in hospitality since I got my first sort of proper restauranty job when I was seventeen. I worked at a I worked in a hotel as a kitchen hand. My uncle was a chef at the time, and I I got the job through his recommendation. That was sort of my start, my first foray into proper hospitality. I'd worked in bakeries and some odd jobs here and there prior to being to, prior to that. Sorry, but working in that working in that particular venue and it was actually it was actually a hotel restaurant working in that venue and being able to see sort of the the multifaceted venue that a hotel was where you have you have your kitchen you have your housekeeping you have your cleaning you have your front of house in terms of the hotel management component and then you have your your restaurant front of house it was a really great it was a really great venue for me to see to to be in rather to see the different just the di- the different departments of a uh, of hospitality or the different areas rather, and I got to see all those in my six years that I was there, and that was definitely sort of the venue and the job that got me into got me hooked to this industry. What led to that um, move into doing uh, the the truck that you had with Miss Vans? Um, I'd spent so from my from seventeen onwards, I I got that first job and I went to uni, did that. Th- did all that, finished my degree, and I, I, I wasn't happy with what I was what I was doing and what my degree was leading me to at the time. Um, so I I went into full time hospitality. At that point, when I finished my degree, I was still at the hotel, and towards that point, I'd moved to I'd moved to front of uh, sorry to hotel management roles. I wanted to get back into restaurants, so I took a job at a, a steakhouse nearby down on Bunda Street. It's no longer there in Canberra. And being in that venue again sort of reignited my passion for being back in, in hospitality. Granted, that was more towards the front of house than the back of house side. Um, I I spent two, three years – I spent – no, sorry, longer than that. I spent probably about seven or eight years in full-time hospitality in a mix of front of house and back of house roles, opening up a lot of venues and assisting in kitchens and – running restaurants and that that really solidified for me what I wanted to do in terms of my career and hospitality was definitely that. I had an opportunity back in 2015 to open up a sort of a, a small investment, low risk, I guess it was a pop-up of sorts, um, went in, did the Miss Vans. I I sort of gained enough information and enough knowledge and experience over the years and it, that venue was a, a three-man operation. We operated out of a 40-foot shipping container. We sold very simple Vietnamese street food, stuff that 
was common sort of to me of things that I'd eaten and things that were accessible to people. And that was sort of the start of the the, the full-on restaurateur career, I guess. Were you surprised by the cues that sort of arrived for Miss Vans at that time? I was. I was very shocked. It was um, very, <laughs> very shocked. It was, look, you, you, and even to this day, I, I still, it's still sort of, I have to sort of pitch myself when, you know, your restaurant's busy and there's a line, but I remember, oh yeah, we, we operate out of a shipping container and it was, it was a, it was nothing, it was nothing fancy. We just, we did a, we did a, we stuck to our sort of, our niche and we did three simple products, a couple of variations within that. And people would line up in the cold and people would walk 10, 15 minutes from their offices to come see us. And it was, it's, it feeds the addiction of, of being in hospitality. Huck. It, um, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. It's a great feeling, but it's a weird feeling. You're a, a big part of uh, Lazy Sue and, um, and that's impact on the sort of evolution of the dining scene in Canberra. Tell us about those years. How, how did that come about and tell us a bit about it? So towards the end of being at the shipping container village, um, it was sort of slowly being shut down by the government because they wanted to use the land for something else. I, I was sort of looking, I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, Miss Vance had done well. So the natural progression for me at that time was sort of, to find a spot to do that. Um, however, operating out of a out of a shipping container, sort of, there's a ceiling of how much you can make financially, and I, I wasn't in the position to go out and sign, <coughs> excuse me, sign a brand new lease and to do the restaurant that I wanted. I at a time ran into some friends. I actually ran into a friend who I I'd known from working in some bars in in Bund Street in Canberra ran into him one day at, at Officeworks. We got talking and I guess we had a couple of conversations about what I was doing and what he was doing and that sort of just, it just went from there. We, there was three of us originally. We, we wanted to find a, an experienced chef to run the kitchen. I, I'd done the food probably at the Miss Fans pop-up but didn't feel confident in myself enough to be the sort of the lead, the executive, the head chef. So we found a, a chef and he eventually came on as a, as our fourth business partner. And then from there we we did Lazy Sue. It was four guys who had been in hospitality for over a decade each. We did this little venue that well wasn't that not that little, I guess. It was a hundred hundred seater, but it was a venue that sort of encapsulated that pan Japanese Korean cuisine at the time, which was sort of really starting to pop off here in Australia. And we, we did this, I guess, a pretty venue that just, just popped off from the start. It was, it was busy from the get go. So it was a great time of my life to be involved in those restaurants to sort of get the experience of running a fully fledged, busy venue. And, I'm really pleased that we I sort of digressed away from doing the the Southeast Asian Vietnamese food that's so secondhand to me and to go to to do something else and to put in to put out put my experiences and my learning over the years into practice and yeah I, I was with those guys for close to three years and 
I love love those three years. It was a very defining time of my life of um, of being a restaurant owner, and that's definitely led me to now what I'm doing these days. Well, you have um, bricks and mortar with Miss Fans these days, and it's you know part of the throng that are the, a real amazing evolution of the culinary scene happening in in Canberra. But you opened it and uh, created it in a time that's been challenging for the industry with the, with the pandemic. What's what's it been like putting uh, the restaurant together during that time? Putting putting the restaurant together and and building a venue at the start of COVID was is still probably one of the most difficult challenges that I've challenges I've ever faced. There's the the actual building of the venue and, and getting it up to the day to sort of, you know, a turnkey sort of position where we can just go in and start everything. That wasn't too bad. That was expensive because builders weren't builders weren't sort of back at work completely. There were lockdowns due to COVID and everything else, the pricing of materials went up so our bill would end up taking a lot longer and a lot more money than it should have. But then that that was that in terms of the whole overall challenge huck was actually nothing at all. That was simple. That was stuff that was sort of out of our own hands or out of my own hands. And at that point it was sort of you just along for the ride and a year later, once the restaurant was done, we were still sort of only a year and a bit into COVID. You know, we opened up the restaurant in November of twenty 2021 last year actually we hit we hit one year in a week we going into going into that venue and we had a we had a good first six to eight weeks of trade that was sort of towards the end of 2021 but coming back into January 2022 we had we had we went straight into lockdowns it's been it's been weird it's been difficult with COVID, with flooding, with inflation, with how everything's going on in the world, with the, the Ukraine-Russian war as well, things have just been, you know, overturned. We're, we're now in, what, early November. We've had, what, two days of warm weather now in Canberra, I reckon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, I don't think the shorts – I haven't put out the shorts yet this year. Um, and so – it's it's difficult. It's it's weird. We're, we're, the business is the business is going well. Um, I definitely can't complain. I'm in a much sort of better and safe position than a lot of people out there, so there's no complaint at all from me. But I definitely say it's it's been challenging. It's still challenging. Two, three, four years ago, prior to this, you know, hospitality almost ran on a on a schedule. You know, you knew when you knew when it was going to be busy. You knew when Floriard hit Canberra that. That was sort of the, the big rush, the onslaught again until the end of the year. These trends that these trends that we sort of worked on previously, they're not around anymore. Huh? It's um, it's difficult. It's a it's a daily fight. It's a it's a daily fight, which I, I do enjoy. I do enjoy the challenge of it. Um, I guess being sort of financially vested in it sort of pushes you to to make sure that you get it right. But yeah, it's definitely been a an uphill battle. Tell us about the current Miss Vans. It's a little bit different to um, what you're doing in a shipping container. <laughs> but uh, tell us a bit about the restaurant and the offering. Um, so we've gone – this one's a, an 80-seater restaurant. Um, nothing too big, nothing too small. Uh, we've got a, a tight-knit crew of 13 staff in the venue. We, we are a Vietnamese restaurant at the end of the day, but with the family history of of spending so much time in Thailand, my, my, this is my family, not myself, sorry, 
having spent so much time in Thailand, in Laos, I was very blessed from a young age to to eat not just Vietnamese food. I had a lot of Laotian food, a lot of Thai food um, at the table when I was young. This this restaurant is sort of a representation of of that upbringing, of our family history, and also what I've come across and what I've sort of learnt in terms of, I guess, food styles and trends over the past few years. It's it's a fun, eclectic restaurant. We um Southeast Asian flavors. We've got a we've got a fantastic bar team that run a fantastic cocktail list and wine list. So it's it's hard to it's hard to look at your own restaurant and sort of describe it to people. Um, people always sort of build their own opinions of it. I I don't see that because I'm so I'm so inside the day to day workings of it. But that's that's what it is. It's it's a Southeast Asian restaurant, a modern Southeast Asian restaurant. We don't we don't go down too much of the, I guess the fusion route. We don't do too much modernization or tinkering of things. Some things do get changed, obviously, because you know it's it's when you're doing one culture's food in another country, there are there are sort of dictating factors of produce and season seasonality that affects it. But it's it's traditional. It's it's quite traditional. I wouldn't say it's fully traditional. I correct myself there. It's it's quite traditional food, but in a modern setting, a modern approachable setting. At the top of the show, we talked about the incredible banh mi that you do. Are there some other pork dishes that um, feature on the menu occasionally that you've done that you can tell us about? Yeah. Um, well, I spoke briefly about the bun bao hue. Um, that's the Vietnamese. It's actually bun bao hue translates to beef noodle from the city of Hue in Vietnam. But it's actually a dish that gets done more predominantly with pork. We did that recently. Um Roast pork is always a part and parcel of Miss Vans. I've been roasting five spice pork belly since since the shipping container days, and we we go through slabs and slabs of that stuff. Um, I guess I think the pork belly bun me in Australia has it's almost become the new chicken avocado and cheese sandwich. I think it's I think it's on I think it's on par with um on par with that sandwich in terms of just something that people eat every day. Um. I mentioned before as well the pork nicopaccio that we use for the bun meat that actually features on a one of our starter dishes and that's it's actually my favorite dish on our menu. It's so it's free range pork pork neck. We um we marinate that in a red nam jim. So lots of think lots of chili, lots of garlic, lots of ginger, fish sauce, sugar, white pepper in a marinade. We sous vide that and then we char grill it, chill it, uh, put it through a meat slicer, and then we. We arrange it sort of thinly on a plate with some a Vietnamese style, sorry, a Laotian style jiao bong, which is like sort of like a charred tomato salsa of sorts. Lots of fresh herbs, bean shoots, eschalots, and you sort of just pick it up with your chopsticks and eat it with a with a sesame rice cracker. And it's it's weird. It's weird when you sort of say pork capaccio because everyone sort of thinks you know, capaccio. It's, it's usually beef. It's it's medium rare, but it's cooked through pork. It's thinly sliced, and it's it's a bit it's a bit left field using pork, but it's it's delicious. It's true. I've had one. Um, tell us a little bit about the evolution of the Canberra dining scene. You've been a big part of that for your career. How, how do you see the evolution of it, and where, and where it's at? Um, 
saying before how you sort of being being inside hospitality, you it's hard to sort of remove yourself from being in within the venue arc and looking at trends. I this is a hard one to answer. In terms of what I've in terms of what I've seen, especially in Canberra the past few years, um, dining is look the quality of let's answer the question of I guess the the landscape. The amount of restaurateurs that are opening up fantastic venues in Canberra is has changed significantly in the last five ten years. I think you know, maybe a decade or so ago, people sort of snubbed their nose to Canberra and they thought, you know, why would you have a restaurant here? It's just, it's a population of, what, 500 grand or less. There's no market for it. People sort of saw Canberra as this boring little rural town. That's changed significantly in the past five years, I think. You've got big operators investing money, you know, operators from Sydney and Melbourne investing here in Canberra. But you've got a lot of cool people that, moved away to Sydney and Melbourne to, to sort of build their careers. And now they're back in Canberra doing fantastic things. One person that pops to mind is, um, is Nick Smith from Bar Rockford. He was someone that sort of, we all look up to greatly because he went off to Melbourne and I guess went to these sort of, I guess these, these hotspots of hospitality where you can go down and the, the industry is a little bit different where, they're a bit more career-driven there. He's gone down, learnt his, learnt his craft. He's come back to Canberra and he's opened up this fantastic venue. And there are little pockets of venues like that in Canberra where people have just come back and opened up venues. And these are venues that, you know, that are winning awards here in Canberra, you know, best restaurants, et cetera, wineless, you know, your pilots, your rock foods, your morks, and just venues like that are, that have changed the landscape amazingly because 10 years ago, even five years ago, you wouldn't have had those, those restaurants here in Canberra. So it's, it's great to have those, those sort of people coming back and investing here in Canberra. My, you know, my story, I've, I've been a Canberran since I was three years old. So this is home for me and I haven't known anything else, but people these days are, I think in terms of the customer landscape in, in Canberra, people are much more sort of open to different types of food and much more different different cuisines. I wouldn't say sort of odd cuisines because I think cuisine can be odd and just be a bit different, but people are sort of responding more to, to bolder flavours. They're responding a bit more to sort of dishes that, dishes that are eaten at home rather than dishes that are geared towards a, a restaurant. People are searching for that. That fun stuff that they found on a, a beachside restaurant in in Phuket, for example, or you know some some random dish that they found on the street in Spain. People are more adventurous with the food. I think that's changed how restaurants are in Canberra and especially Australia, where every everything is just elevated and people are just doing cool things and customers are responding to that. Well, you've made an incredible impact on uh, the Canberra dining scene. What, what do you love about what you do? Um. I'm addicted to the hospitality thing, so this is this is all I know, and this is just what I do. Um, it's it's a it's a job, it's a means to an end. But I we we get a lot of feedback emails from customers. Um, our reservation system automatically sends out a, a an email to thank our guests once they've arrived, once they've dined with us, and 
in that email, you know, we asked for we asked for feedback, we asked for honest feedback, and knock on wood, we ninety nine percent of our emails are are people just raving about the food that they enjoyed and the customer service that they received from our from our lovely staff and just hearing people enjoy their meal and providing honest feedback and letting you know that you know this is this was an absolutely fantastic meal that's just that's just that's what that's what drives us and what what keeps us going um especially in this day and age well andrew it's um, it's amazing what you're doing and you've also got one of the best hot sauces on the planet i might just add that it's a it's a family favorite <laughs> uh, we've loved having you on the crackling today to hear your story um please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon Will do. Absolute pleasure, Huck, and thank you very much for having me today. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstars. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.